All right, today we're going to be reading in Matthew 1, 18 through 25, and that's on page 471 in the Blue Bibles in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please feel free to take one with you. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Thus says God's word. Pray with me as we go into the word of God today. Father, thank you so much uh, for just the privilege, the privilege that... So many of us so often just forget that is a privilege that we can gather freely without fear of persecution and and proclaim your word, to hear your word, to meditate on your word, study your word. And so, God, we thank you for that. We thank you for, um, Lord, this message in particular that, that, God, after all of our longing, all, after all of our desperate crying, O come, O come, Emmanuel, Lord, you appeared. And God, you came in a way that, uh, although it was prophesied and predicted hundreds of years before your arrival, God still was in a way that had no other explanation except divine intervention. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you for what that divine intervention tells us about our own salvation, tells us about the the liberating power of the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we just ask now that you would open our hearts. God, many of us, if we were honest, would have to admit that we are fatigued by this message, Lord, because it has become so sentimentalized, has become so familiar to us, Lord. But God, help us to feel the desperation of those who cried out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Help us to feel, God, the the uh, relief that came with the knowledge of the salvation that is available through Jesus. Help us to realize that, God, that, that this is not just a fact of human history, although it is definitely that. But God, it is a fact that impacts us both individually and corporately more than any other fact that we will ever encounter in our life. And so, Lord, please uh, just grasp our attention with the truth of your gospel one more time today, Lord. We thank you for this. I ask that you would help us to hear, help me to speak, Lord, to, to do so in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. 
Ginger, would you hand me my glasses? I think they're, they should be right there or, or just in the... Thank you. I, uh, we, uh, I, I do this way too often, but I want to just share with you a couple of things coming up at Northridge so that you can be prepared for them because they're going to be great. So if you don't know this, especially if you come in later, if you're not, uh, if you don't get greeted at the door, um, we have these bulletins and they have everything that we're going to be doing. And th- this is a particularly, um, but excitingly busy time for us. Um, we've, we've worked hard to provide a lot of things for you that, that will be, um, uh, fun for you. That'll be, uh, it, you know, um, uh, you know, edifying for you. And so I just wanted to share a few of those with you that, that are uh, of more crucial uh, importance. Um, the first is that we are in January, we are having another new members class. We, I know that there's a lot of you that have been here for several months and we haven't had one. And, um, and our new members classes aren't to make you members, but to let you hear our story, hear what our values are, uh, ask any questions that you might have been stockpiling, and um, and just kind of do one more good round of kicking the tires and uh, see if you want to uh, uh, become a, a member, a recognized member of Northridge Life Church. And we're going to be having those classes on the 14th and 21st of January. What we'll do is we'll meet at 8:30 in the morning in the in the treehouse room. We'll meet right before church um, and uh, give you plenty. Of time to to uh, uh, answer questions meet meet those of us that are here there and and so uh, we really hope that if you are not yet a member of Northridge Life Church that you would take that very seriously we take membership very seriously here and so we want to encourage you strongly to participate in that there's a sign up sheet in the foyer please don't wait till January you know 13th um, please sign up today so that we can get you on the list and do that uh, also in January we a lot of people that ask when are we going to have fellow meetings again. Well, we're doing that um, on January 14th with our world-famous and highly competitive chili cook-off that will be taking place again at Northridge. And so break out the spices, get ready to, to burn the tongues of your of your fellow church members. And uh, and if you bring enough flavor, we're going to have first, second, and third place prizes. And so, but we also need to know who's coming, how much we're going to have. So sign up for that as well. Obviously, both of those things, there's no cost to that. There never would be. Um, and the, the members class, we actually will have child care. And then one last thing I want to remind you of that we are going to have... Um, on New Year's Eve, which is a Sunday night, we're going to gather back here at the church so that we can uh, pray in the new year and thank God for, for 2023. Um, it, that Don't get scared. We're not doing that at midnight. But uh, we're going to meet here. I think I, we put 630. Uh, yeah, 6.30 here at the at the church. Um, and, um, uh, and we'll, we'll just spend about an hour or so, um, worshiping, uh, thanking God for the last year, praying for the new year and, um, asking, and, and, uh, or, uh, kind of starting our year that way. It gives you plenty of time. If you have other things to do that night, you'll have time. But if you don't have anything to do, it's really important information. We are asking anybody who wants to, to gather at our house, mine and Ginger's house at 830 after, after we're done with the prayer, prayer meeting. And we will just have fun bringing in the new year. We'll play some games, just have some laughs together. And at midnight, Ginger is going to fire up the griddle, and I'm going to get behind the uh, frying pan. We're going to make pancakes and eggs and bacon for everybody for a midnight breakfast. So if you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. All the details are in your are in your um, uh, bulletin, so get that. Now, 
Is anybody in this place ready to stop the commercial break and get to the Word of God? Anybody? Okay. <laughs> hey, man, that was way too enthusiastic, Rindy. So, well, last week, um, in our very brief Advent series, we talked about humanity's great need for a Savior. And what, the way we did that is we illustrated that need through the, the history that the Bible gives us of the Jewish people. And we saw that although that they were given a perfect calling, a perfect lineage um, through Abraham, we saw that they were given a perfect deliverance through the Exodus. They were given a perfect law and a perfect priesthood when they gathered at Mount Sinai. They were given a perfect inheritance in the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Later, they were given a perfect king in David, as perfect as any earthly king could possibly be. And yet all of these blessings we saw, this is the consistent testimony of the Old Testament, all of these blessings were still not enough to overcome their inherent fallenness, their inherent sinfulness. They had every benefit, even Paul comments on that in Romans chapter 9, they had every benefit that could possibly be afforded a race of people, and yet at the end... It was to no avail because what they needed were none of those other perfect things. What they needed was a perfect savior. And though all of the aforementioned benefits were given to them generously by God to demonstrate that this point of needing a savior thoroughly to them, none of these were meant in and of themselves, none of these blessings, none of these benefits were meant in and of themselves to bring them into the, per- uh, into the perfection that those, for- uh, those uh, benefits foreshadowed. None of those were, were meant to show them, to, to let them ha- gra- grasp and taste and hold the perfection that, that was foreshadowed by them. On the contrary, the Bible makes clear when we get to the New Testament that the blessings and the benefit were meant to point them not to the shadow, but to the substance that could only be found in Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, as we even have discussed this morning, they were given promises. A plan was laid out for them that showed them their messianic Savior would come and he would redeem them from the curse of sin and death, rescuing them forever. And the promises were meant to show them that God himself must fulfill for them that law that they clung to, that displayed the holiness of God, that they would never be able to fulfill it themselves. They needed God himself to fulfill it for them. Their own history proved that this law was unattainable by their own works, by their efforts, by their determination. You look at the three key heroes heroes of Hebrew history. You'd have Abraham, you'd have Moses, you'd have David. And every one of them, clearly in black and white, in their testimony of Scripture, miserably failed to meet the demands of the law. And this is what all of this was pointing to. Galatians 2.16 is Paul's summation of the law in relation to the gospel. He says, yet we know that a person, listen, is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now you guys, probably well over 99% of you are believers. So that may not make a huge impact on you. But just turn the clock back a little bit. Remember your life. There is not a person in here who has not tried to attain life by the works of the law at some point in their life. You've tried to be good. You've tried to be moral. You've tried to to um, live in a way that that uh, you could attain some sort of perfection through through obedience and discipline. And just like Abraham, just like Moses, just like David, it blew up in your face. And all the church gave their pastor a hearty amen. amen. So what was all that Old Testament about? Abraham, the Exodus, Moses, the law, the priesthood, the kingdom, the promised land, along with the Jews' failure to attain the promise through those things, their insistence on clinging to idols, culminating in their exile away from all the promised blessings, highlighted this desperate need. They needed a Savior. But God did not just cruelly set them up for failure. He didn't give them all those benefits and blessings and say, well, let's see if this works. Let's see if this works. Let's see if this works. No. In fact, all of these were given to them for the express purpose that they might through them discover the better covenant based on better and lasting promises, which was only to be found in Jesus. But the problem wasn't only that they were incapable of keeping God's law and receiving the promises connected to their obedience, according to Deuteronomy 28. They also repeatedly and instinctively, it seems, broke those laws, defiled themselves, and therefore lived under the curses of Deuteronomy 28 that were given as a penalty of disobedience. And because of this... The Jews, when we discussed the Savior that they needed, they needed one that would not only be a representative, that that would be an example of the kind of righteousness that God required or a substitute law keeper for them, but they would require some way to be absolved of their massive sin and guilt debt that they had already accrued. But, now let's pause, step back. From the, from the road we're on here for just a second. And let's consider something that I mentioned in brief last week. Perhaps all of this, everything I've said so far, is of little concern to you. Maybe you're just yawning your way through and hoping I'll get done so we can get to lunch. And the reason that we may consider that this is not any grave concern to us is because This is not a group gathered here of ethnic Jews. If you're here and you're ethnically Jewish, welcome. We're glad you're here. But the most of us, I feel like I can say with confidence, are not. And therefore, perhaps we can claim, not being ethnic Jews, that we're exempt from all the demands that came roaring down from Mount Sinai. But see, to think that way would be to misunderstand what God was doing. He was calling not just the Jewish nation, but the whole world to faith in Christ through his dealings with the Jews. 
That's what the Jewish nation was all about. The Bible told them, that, that, or in the Bible they were told, that they would be a light to whom? To the Gentiles. And so we can't just dismiss things that were specifically given to the Jews because we're not Jews. And why wouldn't be that be the case? Why would we also be under this penalty? Because Paul speaks of Gentiles and Romans like this. He says that we are those who have sinned without the law. We didn't even need to know that it was wrong to do wrong. We're that good at it. We sinned without the law. And so Paul says, as a consequence, we also will perish without the law. Well, those Jews who sinned under the law will be judged by the law and perish under the law. So because the law is holy and a representation of God's holiness, none of us will be spared, Jew or Gentile, from the weight of the law. As creator of everyone, would you agree with me that God has every right to demand obedience of everything he has created? Ephesians 2.12 gives us a really good snapshot of who we are in this equation of, of Jew and Gentile and how, uh, what the, what life was like for Gentiles before the cross. Paul says this, remember, speaking to Gentiles, that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. Having, listen to this devastating last line, having no hope and without God in the world. As Gentile sinners, we were desperate as those who lived under the law. We, we, in fact, we were more desperate. We had no hope. We were alienated from God. Gentiles should logically have no hope of salvation. Do you ever think about that as a Gentile? We don't even think in terms of Jew, Jew or Gentile anymore. But as a Gentile, logically, if you read just the first 39 books of the Bible, you should have no hope of salvation. We were separated from Christ because we were alienated from God's chosen people. That's the reason we were separated from Christ. Why? Because Christ was what came to God's chosen people. Christ was born of God's chosen people. But we were alienated from him because we weren't a part of the commonwealth of Israel. And, and therefore, because we were alienated, we had no access to the blessings and the benefits that I mentioned earlier. Christ, you'll recall, told the Gentile woman, the Canaanite woman, what did he tell her? I have come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. No hope for the Gentiles. But see, God's marvelous plan, you will be a light to the Gentiles. Make known his deeds, we read during prayer time, among the nations. Not the nation, the nations. God's marvelous plan was designed. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say because this is a, for the last hundred years of the church, 150 years of the church has been a huge point of confusion. God's marvelous plan was designed so that the redemption of the true spiritual Israel, which is the church, 
Peoples, by that redemption, peoples from every nation could be grafted into the vine of Israel, his chosen people, becoming true, not imaginary, spiritual Jews, regardless of their national or ethnic heritage. This message of who the Jews really are is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel. Because if now you see what's going on in Israel or whatever, and you imagine that those are God's chosen people, you are estimating yourself way too low. You too, because of the redemptive work of Christ, are God's chosen people. Y'all are way too quiet, making me really nervous. See, some Gentile Christians seem to think that Christ's work somehow just surpasses the Jews and makes them of no importance. Paul, Paul would face that even in his day. He said, what benefit is there to being Jewish? And you know what his answer was? Much in every way. And so we, we imagine that they have no importance in the, in the economy of God's redemptive work. But other people think God's real work, and he's being really nice to the church, but his real work is with the ethnic Jews from the nation of Israel. But let me tell you something really clearly. Please hear me, and I'll defend it with my last breath from the scriptures. Both of those viewpoints are wrong. They're both wrong. See, Christ's incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, was so that... Israel, his one chosen forever people might be revealed. It's so that the world and the kingdom and the kingdom of darkness would know who the real Israel was. And let me tell you something. Being a a, a part of Israel, being a, a Jew indeed, as Paul says it, has nothing to do with Abraham's natural lineage. It has nothing to to rigorously keeping the strictness of the Mosaic law. Nothing whatsoever. But it has everything to do with coming to God in faith. Now I'm going to tell you how much I love you this morning. I had probably 10, I'm not joking, proof text to make this point. Because I'm very passionate about this point. Those of you who have sat in my house talking theology, know that I'm very passionate about this point. Because I love you, I pared it down to two. Okay? So, but if you want to, if you say, I don't know about this, your distinction between Jews and Gentiles, meet me, we'll go through all of them, and probably far more than ten. But let's just start with Romans chapter 2, verse 28. In fact, look it up. Go ahead and look it up. Grab your Bibles, look it up. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. And in fact, I'll give you the second one so you can stick your finger in there and we'll read it together in a minute. From there, go to Galatians chapter 3. All right. Let's start with Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. Listen to this. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision, which is, what is circumcision? Circumcision is the defining external mark of faithful Judaism. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. Well, then what is it, Paul? Verse 29. But a Jew 
is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, not the cutting away the flesh, but the cutting away of sin from the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man for his piety, but it is from God for his faith. It's pretty clear to me. But let's give you one more. The mouths of two or three witnesses. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7, verse 7 beginning. Listen to how Paul defines Jews. Know then that it is those of what? Say it louder. Those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Not just one nation, but all the nations be blessed. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. So then, Paul concludes, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So the question to be resolved by us is not how do Jewish and Gentile Christians differ, but rather, who are the Jews? Who are the chosen people? Who are they truly through the gospel? And this question that you may have never considered before, even though you might have been a Christian for decades, is of utmost importance because without it, we can never ever approach appreciating truly what Christ has done for us. What what Christ has done for us is that those of us who have no logical claim to salvation through Christ, we were outcasts. We have been welcomed in. We who were alienated from Christ, strangers to the covenant, we have now partaken of the covenant shared by all of God's people. What greater Purpose to rejoice this Christmas. Peace on earth. Goodwill to whom? No, just Jewish men. No. All men. And this brings us to consider now. You guys probably forgot what my text was. But now we'll consider the advent of Jesus Christ with these that kind of a setup. Don't you hate it when a pastor takes a 20-minute introduction to his message? There are two accounts of Jesus' birth in the Gospels, as you may know. They're the abbreviated one we read from in Matthew this morning, and then a more extended version found in the Gospel of Luke. And each one brings a unique perspective and different details that together form an amazing incarnation narrative. Matthew, interestingly enough, details the story more from the things that would concern Joseph from Joseph's perspective, and Luke uh, focuses more on Mary, although Luke definitely me- uh, mentions Joseph, Matthew definitely mentions Mary. That's just kind of the perspective that they take. And the de- details of this story, as I said, I'm assuming that 99 plus percent of us are Christians, are familiar to most of us. And Luke says that the angel Gabriel appears to a young virgin in a nowhere hick town called Nazareth. Now, if you 
did not know that Nazareth was literally a speck on the road. Nazareth was, you know, uh, if you ever driven to Rio Dosa and gone through Tokyo, Texas, and there's like two buildings there, that was Nazareth back then. It was nowhere. And, and when this angel shows up, he makes a wonderful announcement. Most women are very thrilled to get a similar announcement through a, a, a test that they take. And the announcement is, she will bear a son. However, there's a problem because Mary has failed to meet the bare minimum requirement for both pregnancy and childbirth. And so she asked this question of the angel, which is a very logical question. You would have asked the same thing. How can this be? Oh, man, and the glory of the answer that she is given takes your breath away. And the angel answered her, Luke one thirty five. the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Wow. Can you imagine, ladies, getting that kind of an announcement? Already, at this very early stage of this story, we see God as the sole initiator of redemption. He didn't need Joseph and Mary. He needed Mary. He needed a surrendered vessel See, God likes to do things in a way that is previously unheard of since the creation of the human race. He loves that. And it had to be this way. See, if Christ had been the natural offspring of a man and a woman, we'd have to credit, to some degree, human wisdom, human power, human virtue for our salvation. But that which was to be born of her was holy the Son of God. First century marriages, I'm sure you're very much aware, were arranged. And they were usually arranged early in the life, especially of the young bride. And so Joseph, uh, an older man, probably had been anticipating his life together with Mary for some time. And Matthew implies, you can just read it in his words, the disappointment that Joseph must have felt with these simple words. Men, you have to be able to relate to this. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, we're saved as the readers by that, those words, those last four words from the Holy Spirit. But whereas Mary received the news that Gabriel brought with a worshipful heart, she received this news She said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, just fully accepting what the Lord was going to do. Joseph, on the other hand, had no benefit of an angelic explanation of God's will and his working before discovering that his betrothed was with child. Can you imagine, fellas? Can you imagine? Instead of worship and amazement, he could only feel hurt and the sting of betrayal. He must have felt a sense of shame to think of how all his family and his neighbors would know that the tender young virgin he had pledged his life to, his fortune to, would soon have a very obvious baby bump. And we get a glimpse of Joseph's incredible character and his humility when we read how he responded. According to Moses, 
Joseph was everywhere within his rights to demand that she be stoned for making a fool out of him. But we read that instead he chose to divorce her quietly, deciding to move on, albeit with a broken heart. But after he'd settled on this course of action, he too was encouraged by an angelic visit. And this time the angel did not appear in person, but appeared in a dream that he was having while he slept. And the angel confirmed the story that certainly Joseph had heard from Mary with these words, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. But he didn't just receive that comforting bit. He also received clear instructions. He was told to name the child Yeshua or Jesus in Latin. The reason the naming of the child wasn't left to Joseph or Mary, they didn't say, name him whatever, Joseph Jr., name him whatever you want to name him. The reason that wasn't left to Joseph or Mary is because the very name of Jesus is prophetic. Jesus is the Latin version that most of us have adopted. Yeshua is Hebrew. Um, and, and it's the same name, I've said this before at Advent, it's the same name as Joshua in English. Now, do you guys remember Joshua in the Bible? Jesus, therefore, Yeshua, Joshua, was named after the one who brought Israel where? Into their inheritance. After years of wandering, that Joshua brought the children of Israel out of their desert wanderings, 40 years, tramping through the sand of the desert, and Joshua brought them out, took them across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. And in this same way, all of those promises made to the Jews would find their fulfillment in this, that Christ would bring his people out of the desert of sin and baptize them into eternal life. And this is clearly indicated by the meaning of the name given by the angel. Uh, um, he, this is what uh, Matthew one twenty one, which we read, said, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, all mean the same thing. Yahweh saves. Now just think about that for a minute. Yahweh saves. His name given was not the law saves. It wasn't the priestly sacrifice saves. It wasn't your ancestry through Abraham saves. It was Yahweh saves. It can also mean Yahweh is my salvation like we read from from Isaiah today. The very name of Christ that sometimes we use even as Christians so flippantly and the world uses as a swear. The name of Christ declares that salvation can't be earned but is found in God alone. It is Yahweh who saves. It is Yahweh who is my salvation. To further confirm these incredibly mysterious uh, events that are taking place in the lives of this very confused young couple, to convince them that this isn't mere happenstance, Matthew reminds his readers that God had clearly said, without any kind of mystery, that all of these things would come to pass. Verse 22 of our text today says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. 
Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then Matthew, for his non-Jewish readers, gives the benefit of a little translation. And he says, this means God with us. And this is a direct quote from Isaiah 7.14. Now, Isaiah's central theme of his entire book is the saving work of God's suffering servant, the promised Messiah, who we know as Jesus. But the main point of this particular verse isn't that, that, you know, it's some kind of fulfilled prediction of a virgin doing what virgins don't do, and that is giving birth, but rather the way that the, the main emphasis, the main thrust of this verse is the way that the virgin's child is identified. Not only is he Yeshua, the Lord is my salvation, but he is Emmanuel, God with us. Yahweh could be our salvation in a, a, a million different ways. But the way that Yahweh chose was to be with us. To be with us. He wouldn't speak from the corridors of eternity, like when he created the cosmos, he would be with us. Men and women, his friends and his enemies would hear him speak tenderly or sometimes fiercely, depending on the heart that he was addressing or the occasion he was addressing that in. His words would come forth not from a a cloud or the sky, For the heart of a prophet, his words would come forth from a face that could be seen. God with us. He wouldn't hand down a law from the top of a quaking, smoking, burning mountain commanding that if anyone approached, they should be stoned to death. Instead, Emmanuel would take children in his arms. He would reach out his holy hand and touch cripples and invalids, the blind and the deaf, and they would be healed. He would be so with us that when his friend dies, four days after he's standing in the tomb and he weeps, he was with us. This is the meaning of God with us, of course, but there's so much more. God with us would share our experiences of being tired, even sleepy. He would be hungry. He would be misunderstood. He'd be persecuted. He'd be abandoned and betrayed. Things that are common to the experience of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. He would know every single kind of temptation. And yet, unlike us, he would come away unscathed by sin. He would... Be God with us because, as Philippians 2 tells us, he would become one of us. But there would even be more than this. God with us would find its greatest expression on a bloody Roman cross on the outskirts of Jerusalem 33 years after his birth. And on that cross, the second person of the Trinity, robed in human flesh, bore the sin the shame and the guilt of all his people. In this way, he would save his people from their sins. 
Think again about that meaning of that name that the angels told Joseph. See, he didn't die to save the Jews alone from their sins. He didn't die to save believing Gentiles from their sins apart from the Jews. He died specifically to save his people from their sins. Everyone whom the Father had given him, he says in John chapter 6, would be given, everyone that he had given him would be saved. And every one of them were redeemed on that day he hung on that cross. He will save his people from their sins. He would not save one soul more, nor would he save one soul less. He has saved all his people, and he's still saving them. They're still coming to him. And in this way, now you're going to see where all this was going at the beginning. God has united Jew and Gentile into a single people of God eternally. Not just until the temple is built. Not until they start sacrificing again. That's never going to happen. He has united them eternally. Through Christ, he's made an everlasting covenant that will never be amended, never be altered, and certainly never be removed. This is what Galatians again says about this wonderful reality. Listen to this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul sums up what is of first importance, his words. He says that that what is of first importance is the gospel as it was delivered by the apostles, himself and the other apostles. When he makes reference to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he asserts that all these events happened, quote, in accordance with the scriptures. In another place, Peter speaks of the definite plan and foreknowledge of God in relation to what God has done in Christ. And what does that tell us? That none of these events... From Genesis to Malachi, from Malachi to Revelation, none of the events were arbitrary. God knew exactly what would need to be done when he created the world. He knew exactly what needed to be done before his image bearers fell. He knew what must be done when he called Abraham, when he delivered his people out of Egypt, when he gave them the law and the priesthood, when David was enthroned, he knew exactly what he must do. And none of God's redemptive work in Christ was an alternate emergency plan. He knew before he created anything that he would put his glory, his mercy, his grace on display like nothing else could. He always... From before the beginning of creation, he always intended to magnify the Son to the highest place, bestowing upon him the name which is above all names. So as you celebrate with your families this year for Christmas, remember all that. Remember that that baby sitting in a plastic manger on your mantle isn't a seasonal decoration. It's a reminder 
that against all odds and without regard to passage of time, there is a God who keeps his promises. Amen. There is a God who remembers his people and there is a God who will not suffer one of them to be lost. Will you stand with me? Lord, I stand here in a congregation of my grafted-in Jewish brothers and sisters, God. Those who are the chosen, the elect of God, who have, who have been discovered, who have been sought out by your grace. And Lord, we thank you that you have made the two one, the Jew, the Gentile. You've broken down the middle separate, the middle wall of separation between them as As you have said, and you did this, God, through your infinitely perfect plan that you, that you displayed in Jesus, that that he showed us on the cross, that he showed us by walking out of the tomb, as he showed us as he ascended to the right hand of power in the heavens. And we thank you for that, God. What a great, 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 infinitely great blessing. God, we can't, we don't even have the words, God, we, because we don't have the words, because we don't have the, the capacity for the emotion that is required to express our gratitude. Lord, you've given us eternity so that we can just continue to express our gratitude, our praise to you for what you've done. But Lord, we don't want to wait till eternity. We don't want to wait till we pass from this life to the next. Lord, we pray that you would help us to redeem this Christmas season by thinking past the manger, rejoicing in the manger, rejoicing in Bethlehem, rejoicing in the angel choir, rejoicing in the wise men, all of those things, but God, to look past them, to see that that little baby, that infant baby, was destined for the cross. And he was destined for the cross that he might save his people from their sins. God, do a miracle in us and make us truly, truly grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ah, what a great um, reminder of, of this, that, that, you know, the baby that was born is the, is the Savior that was torn. The, 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 the Savior, the, the baby that, that issued forth from his mother's womb had his own blood issue forth from his hands, his feet, his brow, his side, his back. And he did that all to save his people from their sins. And so he so graciously, so lovingly gave us this means of grace, this reminder, this covenant renewal service to connect with his risen, resurrected body in heaven by an action of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we want you to, to, if you're a believer in Jesus, to come with joy to the world in your heart and receive these elements and take them and, and, and give thanks for them. We always say this and I just want to say if you're here and you don't know Christ, don't partake because it, 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 it is, you are not in your unbelief, in your sin, you are not his people. You have not been saved from your sins. Now the, now the proof of that will be if you persist in your sin. But if today you will humble your heart and repent before Christ and ask for his salvation, then you will demonstrate that you are, in fact, his people.
and that he will receive you into his eternal kingdom forever. And if you need to know how to do that, if you want help knowing what that looks like, what that, what that looks like in a life that turns from sin, you can come see Pastor Gabriel or myself, and we would love to talk to you about that. But for the rest of you, come receive these elements, take them back to your seats, and we'll take them together in just a moment. The Apostle Paul has given us these familiar words that we read almost every week. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake of the cup together. Now let's give thanks. Father, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for a promise that existed thousands of years before his appearance that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And God, I thank you that we live in a time that through grace, through mercy, we dance on the head of the serpent along with our Savior, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would just um, help us, Lord, to to look to you, to, to rejoice in you, to thank you over and over again this holiday season for what you've done. Every time we see a nativity scene, let our hearts be filled with worship. Every time we're in Costco or Hobby Lobby and we hear those glorious songs, those hymns of praise, let us stop it in our hearts, just worship, Lord, um, for those that instead of being just familiar and dead to those things, God. Help us, Lord God, to rejoice that we, you have saved your people from their sins, including us, including the, us who you chose before the foundation of the world, along with every believing Jew. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would place your hands in a receiving position, I just want to read this benediction over you. So simple from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. This saying is trustworthy. And deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed.